Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Peninsula Church of Christ, located at 502 Woodland Road in Hampton, Virginia. We are so glad that you have chosen this time to study the Word of God, and it is our prayer that this sermon will be a blessing to your soul. You can find more information about the congregation, including our service times and full contact information, online at www.peninsulacofc.org. That is P-E-N-I-N-S-U-L-A-C-O-F-C dot org. If the sermon prompts questions in your mind, please reach out to us. Keep listening after the sermon for more information. And now, a sermon from the Peninsula Church of Christ. Now, we talked in the first Sunday of this series about the way in which God transforms us into light by the blood of Christ, by the word of Christ, and into the kingdom of Christ. Understanding that Jesus is the source of all light, John chapter 1, and that God is light, and we read that in 1 John chapter 1. Last Sunday, we expanded upon that idea that if Jesus is light and transforms us into light, we are called to be the light of the world. And that means we need to live as children of light. And we especially emphasize that from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 2, verses 8 and 9, as well as Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 14, into even 15 and 16 as well. But I told you last week that we'd be moving into something a little more this week. Because it's not just enough to understand that God is the source of light. It's not just enough to understand that Jesus is the one who transforms us into light. It's not just enough to understand that we need to live as children of light. Now we need to go a step further and understand that living as children of light means not just conducting ourselves as those who are God's people, but being willing to speak forth the light as God's people. You know, it's one thing to try and live in a way before the Lord that doesn't offend other people. That's pretty easy. Because most of the things that the scripture asks you to do, as far as how you conduct yourself in life, you know, be faithful to your wife, rear your children in love and respect, treat other people with love and respect, be merciful and kind, slow to speak, slow to anger. Man, those are the kind of attributes that, they, that people love to see in others. That they love to see individuals who conduct themselves that way. But when you start messing with their life, oh, now it's meddling, right? When you start saying that you ought to live the way that I live, when you start saying that there is a God who expects all of mankind to conduct themselves in a very specific way, then the tables change a little bit, don't they? Whereas before you were living well and people could look at that and say, that's, that's great. Now, now you'd say to them, yes, great, I'm living that way. You need to too. Well, that tends to change things, doesn't it? It really tends to change the dynamic when we actually start evangelizing. There will be those who receive, there will be those who don't, but that's not our concern. Our concern is doing it well and right. Our concern is being the children of light, being the light of the world, the salt of the earth. And that's what we want to talk about today. So let's in the first place see this. The light of the gospel perceived. Let's, let's understand, let's perceive how the gospel is the means by which God is going to bring that light to us. That's the means by which God conveys the light of his son into the lives of men. Open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Because we're going to perceive the light of the gospel. And then we need to understand that the devil already recognizes this. And we ought to as well. You know, the devil understands how God shapes people. 
and does what he can to prevent that word from being effective, then we ought not doubt its power, should we? If the enemy knows it and we refuse it, well, that's foolishness, isn't it? He understands. He knows the power of it. Notice what we read about here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 because we see the devil and we see Paul. And we see these two really at war with each other because Paul's, Paul's preaching the gospel. And that, the devil, Satan, he, he wants to do everything he can to ensure that the gospel is hidden. So we have Paul's presentation and Satan's obfuscation. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. So see what Paul says. He says, listen, we came preaching the gospel. To, to kind of summarize all they said up to this point and now to include this, we came preaching the gospel with pure motives. We didn't come with craftiness or deceit. We didn't try to trick anyone into receiving, into obeying what it was that we were sent to preach. Rather, we came with one simple task to proclaim the truth. That's all we came to do. We didn't come to trick you. We didn't come to deceive you. We came to bring you truth. And that's what God's people have always done, isn't it? You can go back through the Old Testament. You can look at the prophets of old, those who spoke for God. They always came bearing truth. Sometimes the people liked it. Sometimes the people did it. Sometimes they obeyed it. Sometimes they refused it. But God's people were purveyors of truth. And those who didn't purvey truth, they weren't God's people. In fact, Deuteronomy 18 makes that clear. And amongst that great text where we have a prophecy of the final lawgiver Christ, it's also an explanation around the prophets of God themselves and how they would be those who speak that which will come to pass. They will speak truth. Paul says, we're just doing that. We're not tricking. We're not deceiving. We're just speaking truth. And truth is powerful, isn't it? We, we know you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you what? Free. We, we know the text. We know the power of truth. When God's truth is received into the heart of man, is sown and bears forth fruit, it brings about terrific things, doesn't it? It brings about tremendous blessing to the one who receives it and to those who are around him or her. And if that's the case, you know, there's someone who doesn't like that. There's someone who, who's perceived the power of the gospel and says, I know what it can do. I don't want it to do it. Because his goal is not life, but death. Read the next two verses here of this text. Verses three and four, it says, but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ. See that? The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who's the image of God should shine on them. Now, if you're familiar with the New Testament, you know right away who the God of this world is, the God of this age. It's a phrase used by the Apostle Paul in some form or another in a few different contexts throughout his epistles. And every time refers to the devil, refers to Satan, refers to the deceiver, the, the one who speaks against God. Well, he wants to hide that message. He, he wants people to be blinded to it. He wants them to see it, but not see it. He wants them to hear it, but, but not really hear it. 
You know, the Bible's a great tool, isn't it? But, but it's only a great tool if it's used correctly. If you buy that Bible, or if you put that app on your phone, and you never open it, it's not going to do you any good, is it? Whether you're turning pages or tapping the screen, it's not going to do you any good. If you treat the Bible with a shotgun style approach and, you know, you open it today and you read in Genesis chapter 1, you open it tomorrow and you turn to Isaiah chapter 1, you open it the next day and read Ezekiel chapter 1, I guarantee you by the time you get through Ezekiel 1, you're going to be confused. You're going to have no idea what's being talked about. Because, well, you're just, just skipping around, reading here, reading there. You're not, you're not going to get anything out of it. The devil wants you to be blind. He, want, he wants you to see it, but not really see it. He wants you to see it and not believe in it. Because he knows that when the light of the gospel shines in the heart of men, he loses on them. He's lost you, hasn't he? I hope he has. He's lost you. Because you heard the gospel preached. And you obeyed from the heart of that form of doctrine which was delivered to you, Romans 6.17. And so now you're not longer slaves of sin, but you're slaves of righteousness. You're in Christ Jesus, and you have light, and you have life. See, we've got to perceive the light of the gospel. 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 4, helps us to understand that the light of the gospel shines in the hearts of men and changes those hearts. But in perceiving that, we also need to perceive that it is through this gospel that one is introduced to Jesus. And when one is introduced to Jesus, one is introduced to life and light because he's the one who has brought it, isn't he? Turn your Bibles over to 2 Timothy chapter 1 for a moment. In 2 Timothy 1 verses 8 through 12, the Apostle Paul is basically recounting to Timothy just briefly here his own calling. And he's recounting that to Timothy to encourage him to not be ashamed to preach the gospel. Because in it is light and life from Christ. Begin at verse 8 with me. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Now, do you remember why Paul was often in prison? He was in prison for preaching the truth of the gospel. He was being accused of, in essence, being a revolutionary. He's preaching King Jesus and not King Caesar. Remember the Jews' accusation in the book of Acts against Paul is one related to politics. They can't accuse him under their own law, can they, ultimately? So they try to persuade the powers that be to persecute Paul or allow them to take his life by virtue of what he's preaching in opposition to Caesar, as they would phrase it. Well, when Paul sees all that's happening and what's, what is occurring, he appeals to Caesar. Does he? he says, let me go up there and actually say what's going to happen. What, what I'm actually preaching and the truth of it. Now we get to Acts chapter 28. And man, he's converting folks out of Caesar's own house, isn't he? I mean, that, that's the power of the gospel. But here Paul is in prison. And we know why he's been in prison. He, he's been in prison because of the gospel. He just doesn't talk about it when he writes to Timothy. He talks about some of his other epistles as well. But, but our focus is right here at the moment. He says, don't be ashamed of me. It might be easy to be ashamed of someone who's imprisoned. And if he's imprisoned under charges of basically treason, 
You don't want to be too close to him. Because when Caesar and those of his authority saw treason, they tended to not stop execution at the, that individual. They, they tended to, to see a conspiracy as those who have absolute power often do. Many an individual lost their life at the hands of Roman authorities simply for being accused of being treasonous without any proof whatsoever. And here is Timothy, and here is Paul, the father-son spiritual relationship, right? That these two have it. Paul says, don't be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. Don't be ashamed of me, the one who's giving that testimony. Now, why not be ashamed? What, what is so unique? What is so special about this? Well, we already know why, but, but let's read it. Keep, keep on going with me. He says, but share with me the sufferings for the gospel, according to the power of God who has saved us and called us for the holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before time began. He said, share with me. Don't be ashamed of me. But rather share in the sufferings. When you share in the sufferings, you're sharing with Christ, aren't you? Who suffered for us. He says, don't be ashamed, but share with Christ. Share with me. Share in these sufferings. He said, don't be ashamed, but, but remember, we only are who we are because of the grace of God. Because he has saved us. Because he has redeemed us. But keep on reading. But has now been revealed. This purpose, this grace in Christ has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and persuaded. He's able to keep that which I have committed to him until that day. Paul says, we're preaching that gospel that gospel of Jesus Christ that has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Where the gospel is preached, life and life are proclaimed. That's what we need to understand. Where the gospel goes, so goes life and life because you can't preach Jesus without preaching life and life through him. Can you? You can't faithfully proclaim Jesus without proclaiming that. In fact, when we talk about the gospel of John, when we talk about John chapter one, of all the gospels, John really tries to help us understand who Jesus is, doesn't it? Really tries to help us perceive just exactly who he is. I don't mean in the sense of the son of God, though it certainly is making that testimony. And John is giving all these signs and such, but, but in showing us the son of God, it's showing us the power of God in him. And that power is summarized at the very beginning of the book. Jesus is life and light to man. So many of the images that he used, I'm the bread of life, I'm the water of life, I, I am the good shepherd, I am the resurrection and the life, I am the way that you... They're coming back to those two ideas that are planted right in the very first chapter of the book of John. That Jesus is life and that life is the life of man. We can't miss that. John tells us at the very beginning of the book what he's going to show us about Jesus. And so it's no surprise then that when we preach Jesus, Paul would say everywhere that the gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed, 
so is proclaimed life and immortality and light. Now that's what men need to see, and we need to perceive that the gospel of light must be perceived by the children of light. We can't forget where our light originates in Christ, and we can't forget where we first saw that light in the gospel of Christ. Now, we remember that. If we remember that it is the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ that shines in the hearts of men and changes them, then we're going to remember that it's not just enough to live Right. But his people also need to preach right. His people, us, need to be the kind of people that talk to our neighbors and our friends and our family and our co-workers and, and those that maybe we're on sports teams, other things. We, we've got to be the people who are talking to them about this Jesus, the Christ, the light and life of men. Because we know that's the only way the light is going to shine in their hearts. Because we know it's only through the gospel that it can possibly shine on them. So if all they see me as is a good person, that's not good enough. They need to see me as a child of the light and know that I am who I am because of Jesus, the Christ who dwells in me. Now that brings us to our second point then. If we're going to perceive the light of the gospel, we then need to proclaim the light of truth. We need to proclaim it. The truth draw, those who know the truth are going to be drawn to the light. Turn to John chapter 3 for just a moment. This is a text we looked at early on in our study, but I want to remind us of it now. John chapter 3, verses 18 through 21. Now we know verse 16. We're somewhat familiar with verse 17. But let's remember what comes after it. Because Jesus did come into this world to save sinners. There's no doubt about that. And God so loved the world that, that he sent his only begotten son. But when his only begotten son came to this world, he came to this world as light. And those who love the truth love the light of Jesus. Look what he says in verses 18 through 21 here. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. And this is the condemnation. That the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light. Because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Those in the dark hate the light but those who love truth love the light. Truth and light go together. Those of the truth who love truth are going to be drawn to the light which means you and I need to speak truth. And those with a good and honest heart, going back to the parable of the sower and the soils in Luke chapter 8, those who love truth are going to come to the light. They're willing to come and see. But those who don't, well, there's a different discussion to be had about that. So we need to be people who speak truth. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We need to be people who speak truth to those who are in sin. To those who are in sin. Now, let's read this text. This is actually the text we began our study with a couple weeks ago now. And beginning at verse 8 of this chapter, he says, For you were once darkness. Now, isn't that an interesting phrase? He doesn't say, For you were once in darkness. He says, For you were once darkness. When you're in darkness, the only thing you can project is darkness. 
You're dark. Jesus talks about the eye of man, doesn't he? And light and darkness and that is. That the darkness is there. If the eye is bad, how great the darkness is going to be. That's the same imagery that, that Paul is using here. This idea of if we are in sin, if our life is one of darkness, there's nothing but darkness about us. We are darkness. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. You see that contrast? Because now that the eye is good and full of light by the gospel, you're light. That's, that's who we are in Christ. But keep reading. He says, then walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. When light shines on darkness, it shows it exactly to be what it is, doesn't it? Shows it to be what it is. Now, the word expose here, you usually see it translated differently in the New Testament. It's the same word, but, but it's often translated differently. It has, a, has some shades of meaning, but you often see it translated as reprove. It's the same word. But rather reprove them. Keep reading. I'm going to come back to that. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed, that's the word again. And that's the same word again. All things are exposed. All things that are brought to light. All things that are reproved or made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep. Arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. Paul says those who are the children of light must so conduct themselves in the light that they do not entangle themselves in the darkness. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. But instead of entangling themselves in the darkness, they reprove, they point out, they make evident the darkness by light. Now this word fundamentally means to show, to convince, to prove to someone the wrong of their way so as to bring them to shame. In, cla in classical Greek, it had the idea of shaming individuals, of bringing someone to wrong and shaming them for it. Now in the New Testament, it, it carries into a different bit of a concept as it comes into this, this newer version of Greek as we might phrase it, the more common Greek, the koine, and it carries this idea then of bringing to someone the knowledge of what is right and what is wrong. And of convincing them of what is right in opposition to what they're doing, which is wrong. Now you think about that in the context of the gospel, and we understand what he's telling us. He's telling us that we, as those who are the children of light, need to so live and so speak and so do that as we encounter darkness, we are proving to those who are in it, convincing them. That the way they're living, it's not what God would have. That it's darkness needs to be exposed. And verse 14 makes that clear. Paul here isn't so much speaking to these Ephesians in view of within the body of Christ. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. And so those in the body were false teachers and otherwise avoid them. Now, certainly that's true. And in that, that would be an extension of the principle. But verse 14 helps us to understand that this is bigger than that because he says, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Mm -hmm. 
The ones who are sleeping, the ones who are dead, the ones who need light are those who are outside of Christ. And if you go back to Ephesians chapter 2 and you look at some of the comparative language in the beginning of the chapter, as Paul is reminding them of who they were before Christ, you'll see some similarities. You'll see some comparisons that you can draw between them. You he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. You come to verse 14. Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead. Paul is challenging God's children to so live their life and to so speak as to provide proof to the world. So as to convince those of the world that they are in darkness and need to come to the light of Christ. Now that's a strong challenge, isn't it? But it is no different than our Lord standing there before his apostles and saying, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every man, is it? Preach the gospel to every creature. It's no different than that, is it? It is absolutely not any different. Paul is telling these Ephesian brethren that now that they are in the light, in the Lord, they have the exact same responsibility that was given to the twelve, that was given to Paul by virtue of the fact that he became one born out of due season, that is given to every single New Testament Christian. It is our job to speak truth into the world as those who are the children of light. It's just that simple. It's our job to expose it. It's our job to provide evidence and proof. Now, we don't, we, we don't do that with spite. We don't do it with hatred, do we? Speak, speaking the truth in love, we understand that. We don't do it with spite and hatred, but we are people who are supposed to speak truth in this world. And if we don't do it, who will? We'll leave it up to Joel Osteen to do it. I'm not trying to be mean. We'll leave it up to him to do it. We're going to leave it up to Muslim imams and clerics to do it. We'll leave it up to Hindu priests to do it. We're going to leave it up to secular atheists to do it. We'll leave it up to those who claim to be Christians but aren't. Who just use the gospel for gain, not for truth, to do it. If we don't do it, who will? I mean, isn't that the bottom line of this? If we don't do it, then who will? And don't give me the excuse, well, you know, here we are, Mordecai and Esther. Well, you know, if you don't do it, God will raise it up from somewhere else. That doesn't excuse you of your responsibility to do it. Amen. Now, yeah, there may that, that, that's for people of faith to believe that, hey, if we fail, if someone else is unwilling, the Lord can use someone else to bring the light of the gospel to them, perhaps. And that's, that's trusting that God can work his will despite what I do. But that doesn't exempt me from my responsibility. We don't need to use excuses. We don't need to use fear and hide behind it. Brethren, I'm more and more convinced fear of talking to others about the gospel isn't about the gospel. It's about how much we know of it. It's about how much we know. We're fearful to go talk to them because we know we don't know the book. That's why we're afraid. We're afraid they're going to ask us a question we can't answer. An elementary one. But well, why don't y'all use instruments of music? Well, the Bible says sing. Okay. 
Well, show me. I think it's somewhere. Hold on, I'm going to have to look it up on my phone. Paul says you need to be baptized in order to be saved. Acts 2 and verse 38. Well, Romans 10 says you need to confess with the mouth and you'll be saved. How do those two relate to each other? Well, there's an answer right there in Romans 10. As well as you back up four chapters into Romans 6. He's talking to people who understood what he meant. In obedience to the gospel. We're fearful because we don't know the book. If we know it, we don't have to fear because God's word will accomplish it. We need to speak truth to those who are in sin. And we need to speak the truth of what God has done. Are you ashamed to be part of God's church? You ashamed to be part of the kingdom? You ashamed to be a Christian? Well, how often do you talk about it? It just got really quiet. <laughs> Turn with me to Peter's first epistle. 1 Peter chapter 2. Because our call as Christians to proclaim the light of truth, it's not just about exposing darkness and helping the world to see the light of Christ. Which is how you expose the darkness, isn't it? You preach the light. You show the light. If you want to expose darkness, you have to show the light. You have to show Christ. We made that a point. But it's not just about that. Our proclamation of the light of truth is also about proclaiming what God has done for us. Now, I don't mean this in the sense of, you know, put on some low music and give me a mic. and Hey, let me give you my testimony. That's not what I'm talking about. But somebody looks at your family and they say to you, man, you have a great family. Oh, thank you, man. The Lord has really blessed me. I'm thankful to have a wife who loves me as a faithful Christian and, and helps Helps me to be a better man before my God. That, that's the only way our family is what it is. That, that's an answer that speaks to the truth of the situation, isn't it? When someone says, you have a great family, oh man, thank you, I'm proud of it. Hold on, wait. Who, did you just take credit for your family? Did you just take credit for them? But we do that, don't we? I've done that. If we're honest, we do that. We take ownership of what we have as though we're the ones who made it that way. In reality, if it wasn't for the Lord, I would be an angry, out of control, stupid man. That's who I would be. And I know it is. Because I'm someone who grew up not very much able to control their temper. Someone grew up with very little patience. Still struggle with it. I haven't reached it yet. Still struggle with patience. Probably always will. I get flustered easily. I get frustrated at times. My wife has had to work on me. <laughs> By reminding me of who God has called me to be. She's a help in helping me to grow because she brings the word of God to bear. And I can't argue with him. Come on, guys. You know, sometimes your wife tries to tell you you act in a fool. You want to argue with her about it. But when she points you to the word of God and says he's telling you acting a fool, that's hard to argue with, isn't it? And I can only speak from the vantage point of a husband. Ladies, I'll let you address it from the other side. But I know good and well the word of God is what shapes me. And I know good and well it's what shapes you, too. 
So look at what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. He says that we have been changed from what we were. You are a chosen generation. Now, outside of Christ, we were none of these things. You are now a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. That's a blessed place to be, isn't it? But notice what he says. That, well, you understand what he means. So you are this, this, and this, that, so that it, it, you recognize you're these things, and now this is what you're going to do, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who were once not a people, but are now the people of God, who have not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. He says, God has changed you. He's chosen you. He's made you a priest. He's built you up as his own nation, his own special people, that you might proclaim the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Proclaim the praises. Well, praise just means sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs. Uh, no. That's part of it. But no. Have you read the book of Psalms? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, girl. Leave it to mine. She hasn't. She will. She hasn't yet. The psalmist all the time is talking about his life and what God has done with it, isn't it? And he's proclaiming the praises of the one who took him from the darkness of sin and brought him into the light of blessing and truth and forgiveness. The word here, proclaim, is a form of the same word that's translated as angel or messenger. It carries the idea of announcing. Do you think our interactions with folks would be different if we were people who just consistently announced how great our God is? Who proclaimed the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We say, you know, I used to be that way. Some of you older gentlemen, you've had opportunity, you have opportunities to mentor younger men. You're men who aren't in the kingdom. And you know how young guys are, right? Ladies, you have opportunities sometimes, I know, to mentor some of those younger ladies. And they're trying to deal with all these things. They're living in a culture and society that, that's trying to dictate who they ought to be and how they ought to live. And the young men are fighting the same kinds of things. And, and they look at you and they say, well, how did you get this far? Was it good home rearing? Was it this? It's beyond that. Well, if you got good home rearing, it's only because the principles of that home rearing were rooted in the word of God, isn't it? And who he is. We need to be the kind of people who proclaim the truth of the gospel, the light of truth. When someone says to us, man, I really look up to you, we say to them, I am who I am because of the grace of God. When someone says, you've got that great family, gentlemen, you tell them, I have this great family because it's a gift from God and I wouldn't be who I am without him. When someone compliments you at work and says, man, you have a great work ethic, say, I work like I work because my Lord has taught me how to work. We need to be people who are constantly praising God for who we are and for what he has made us in his son through his gospel. We got to stop taking credit for what God has done because I don't deserve the credit and you don't deserve the credit. 
but God deserves the credit. <clears throat> Well, we could imitate the words of Paul in this sense. I know he's talking about it in a little bit different sense, but I planted Apollos water. God gave the increase. I know you had to read. I know you had to be willing to receive the instruction. But man, it was the good wisdom of God that made the difference, wasn't it? So as we close out this series, I am light, the light of the world. We talk about the source of light who is God. We talk about the transformation of light, which occurs through Christ. We talk about the need to shine the light because we're designed to do it. Where it's demanded. Man, it'll bring praise to God. We talk about the need to be the light. And today we've talked about the necessity of perceiving the light of the gospel. Understand that the gospel is what brings light to men. And we have established the necessity of proclaiming the light of the gospel, the light of truth. That's what we've accomplished over these last three Sundays. Now, brethren, in Christ, we are light. So it only remains for me to ask us one question. Will we shine or will we hide? That's the question. And to those who might be with us this morning, and you're sitting here saying, hold on, but he's talking about Christians, talking about shining, talking about being in Christ, all these things. I, I'm not even there yet. That's all right. Everyone who is there right now in this room was once where you're at. But you don't have to stay where you're at. My friend, if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, then be willing to confess his name, repent of your sins, and put him on in baptism. Just as those on Pentecost were told in Acts 2 verse 38. Just as we see with Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8 at the latter end of it. And in the beginning of Acts chapter 8 with the Samaritans. Just as we see with Cornelius' household in Acts chapter 10. And just as we see with that one born out of due season, Paul himself in Acts chapter 9. And he recounts it in great detail when he says in Acts 22 and verse 16. Ananias came to me and said, and now why tarries thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. My friend, if you are willing to come to the light of Christ today, to die to self and live to him, to make this not about you, but about his praise and his glory, then this morning submit to God and be immersed for the remission of your sins. The invitation is yours. The sermon is offered. To you, we pray that it's been some benefit. If you need to come, please do so as Brother Reggie comes and leads us in our invitation song. We hope that the sermon challenged you and encouraged you in your walk with God. Now that you have listened, we invite you to join us for Bible class on Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. or for worship at 10.30 a.m. Further service times can be found on our website. If you would like to study the Bible further, have questions, or just want to send in a prayer request, please call us at 757-848-1120, email us at info, I-N-F-O, at peninsulacofc.org, or fill out the contact form on our website at peninsulacofc.org. Thank you for listening, and be sure to subscribe and rate us in iTunes or on your favorite podcast player to keep up with future sermons. May God bless you.